Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. So when your kid's behavior is baffling and yours is too sometimes, yeah, I know. Let's take a break from all the bamboozle here on the baffling behavior show. Hey, 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 y'all. Welcome to the baffling behavior show. If you are parenting a child whose behaviors seem totally baffling to you and you're confused, overwhelmed, their behaviors just don't make any sense, then you are in the right place. I know that there's so many of you that have kids with histories of complex trauma, attachment trauma, developmental trauma, but more and more and more, there are other families finding this podcast and having big aha moments. So welcome to all of you. I'm Robin Goble. I'm a former therapist who's now an author, educator, community creator, obviously a podcaster. Over here, we are gearing up for the release of my very first book, September 21st, called Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors. It's available anywhere books are sold, but definitely at robingobel.com slash book. So I'm doing a podcast series that mirrors the same arc of the book. Last week, we talked about why it is so important to understand the neuroscience of behavior. Today, we're talking about how to quote unquote fix behaviors by growing what I call the owl brain. So stick around. I'll dive deeper into all of this. One of the things I love to do the most is to translate all of the complex relational neuroscience for those of you who don't have time to study neuroscience. But I also don't want to be a part of a profession that like hoards all this extremely important information. It has changed my life. I've watched it change the lives of so many families that I work with. And that's my mission. Can I translate the complexity of relational neuroscience in a way that is useful to you, like in a way that matters to you in your day-to-day life? On last week's podcast, we talked about how woven into all of the work. So in the club, which is the virtual community I have for parents and being with, which is my professional training program for parent professionals, of course, on the podcast. And then now in this book that's coming out soon, there's one big overarching I like framework. There's like this map 
map. Like I really see it as as a map. Like I really even picture in my mind like opening up, you know, back in the day where we used to unfold and open up maps and like hold them in front of our faces or put them on the hoods of our car, right? I see this this map that has emerged from these three core pieces. The neuroscience of behavior and understanding the neuroscience of behavior and specifically how it relates to kids with baffling behaviors. That's one piece. And then there's having actual concrete tools and strategies, but not just a toolbox full of random tools and strategies, but tools and strategies that are actually focused on targeting the real problem. Okay. So that's kind of the second piece of this framework. And then the third piece is having like the space and the safety to pay attention to ourselves, to our own regulation, to our own triggers, the tagline for my book is brain body century strategies that really work. And I'll be honest with y'all, I did not love that at first. I really wanted to stay away from kind of like sticky promises, you know, like the only, you know, book you'll ever need to read or a, a roadmap to solve all your child's behavior problems. I, I really did not want a title or subtitle that made promises like that. And the phrase like, quote unquote, that really work it, at first, it, it felt uncomfortable to me. I, I just did not want to be another person who doesn't know your kid at all. <laughs> like telling you that I've come up with some magical tools that really work, right? Like how eye rolling, how honestly, how insulting. Unfortunately, there are just a few things that authors don't really have too much of a say in. And the truth is, is that overall in publishing this book, I could not have been luckier. Like I could not have chosen to work with a better team and a better, like a mission driven publisher who's been really committed to um, maintaining my ability to stay in authenticity with my values and with my work. They really have essentially let me do basically whatever I want. But the, the, the subtitle, strategies that really work, that stuck. And actually, over the past couple months, the subtitle has settled with me. It's almost, it's almost grown on me. And I have, I think I have a new relationship with those words than I did when the title was first suggested. You know, I, by saying strategies that really work, I'm not promising that one specific tool will be the final breakthrough that solves all of your problems. Absolutely not. But what I am aiming to offer y'all in my work is that if you pay attention to all three pieces, all three categories, right? The neuroscience of behavior, 
tools and strategies to solve the real problem, which the real problem is always regulation, connection, or felt safety. Okay. And then as well as the state of your own nervous system. So, okay, maybe that's a little confusing because I gave a lot of um, interrupting comments in the middle of that. So the three pieces are the neuroscience of behavior, tools and strategies that really work and solve the real problem, and then the state of your own nervous system. If you pay attention to all three, you actually do end up discovering strategies that really work. And they really work because they're not just a, you know, word bank of random strategies that you're pulling out based on your own dysregulation, based on your own desperation, without really understanding what the tool is designed to do, what the strategy is designed to do, as well as what does your child need in that moment? And do they need help with regulation? Do they need help with connection and or do they need help with felt safety? So when all of these three pieces come together, the neuroscience, the tools and strategies and, you know, being present with ourselves, the tools, the strategies really do become strategies that really work because ultimately they emerge from you, the caregiver, from a place of being instead of a place of doing. And what I mean is, again, when you really are understanding like the neuroscience of behavior, the neuroscience of being human, you start to see your kids' behaviors through a new lens. Like you start to see them for um, indications of what the real problem really is. And if you can understand what the real problem is and what they're trying to solve, right, in their nervous system with this behavior that they're doing, we get much closer to coming up with a strategy that might really work. And if we can be present with our dysregulated kids in not a calm way, but in a mostly regulated way, we stay present and connected with ourselves, we reach a point where the tools don't feel like we're just like plucking them one by one out of this like metaphorical toolbox the tools start to feel like they just come to us. They just emerge. We're not really ha even having to stop and think. Now, it takes a lot of practice to get to this. So without question, we have to, you know, practice using the tools in a very like thoughtful, deliberate, like plucking a tool from a toolbox kind of way for a long time. But eventually... As these three pieces come together, understanding the neuroscience of behavior, having a lot of tools, and being regulated ourselves, staying in our owl brain, the tools do really start to become tools and strategies that really work. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So 
I created a separate podcast stream called Start Here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. robingobel.com slash start here. I mean, the reason you find yourself stuck in like this endless game of behavior whack-a-mole with a toolbox full of tools isn't necessarily because they are bad tools or the wrong tools, but without understanding the neuroscience of behavior, right? Like the neuroscience of being human, the idea that connection's a biological imperative and the, 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 the idea that regulated connected kids who feel safe do well, without understanding the neuroscience of behavior the tools aren't super useful because you don't really know when to use them or or why you're using them. But when you understand that neuroscience of behavior, even just a little, I'm not asking to become like a neuroscientist by any means. You don't need to be. That would just flood your brain with useless information. But when you understand the neuroscience of behavior, even just a little... The tools get to become useful and intuitive. You don't have to pause and reach into that proverbial tool Rolodex, right? But a strategy that could offer some regulation or some connection or felt safety will intuitively emerge because you understand what's the real problem here. Is it regulation? Is it connection? Is it felt safety? And what kinds of things invite connection or regulation and felt safety in my unique child. And then when you have the ability to stay regulated and in your own owl brain, even in the face of super dysregulated behavior, the strategies, again, they they come from like this place of being, not doing. And, And it is the being That is actually how the brain changes. It isn't the specific tools and strategies, but it's the being, the presence and the attunement and the co-regulation. That's how the brain changes. The strategies are important, but what they are are like vehicles that offer presence, attunement, co-regulation, connection, safety. When I'm thinking about behavior change, I'm thinking about either growing the owl brain or calming the watchdog or the possum brain. Growing the owl brain, really strengthening and widening that window of stress tolerance and and really supporting that very sensitive stress response system, increasing overall regulation, increasing overall connection, increasing overall felt safety, right? All of those things are, are growing the owl brain. If you want to get super sciency, growing the owl brain is strengthening and myelinating the ventral vagus. Okay, so growing that owl brain means 
that the watchdog or the possum brain are going to react less frequently and with less intensity. So the focus in this stage, the growing the owl brain stage, is not on responding or reacting to difficult behaviors. But I know without question, you need those strategies too. They're just in a different section. So this focus is on not reacting to behavior. The focus here is on increasing regulation, connection, and felt safety so that the behaviors are less likely to happen. So I think of growing the owl brain strategies as ways of being with our kids like all the time, not just when we're responding to or reacting to negative behavior, but ways of being with our kids all the time so that their owl brain can grow big and strong. And the stronger their owl brain is, the longer it will stick around, the less likely the owl brain is to get scared of the watchdog and possum brain and fly away. So while I know that in parenting it feels like the most important thing is to figure out how to respond or react to these out of control negative behaviors. And I know for some of you listening, th- th- it feels like that's like a hundred percent of, of your parenting, like responding or reacting to negative behavior. Totally get that. And even inside that situation, we want to try to stay like as open and curious to the idea of how can I strengthen the owl brain outside moments of negative behavior. How can I increase my child's regulation through co-regulation based parenting? How things like scaffolding, right? Attunement. How can I increase my child's sense of connection to me, but also do it in a way that doesn't flood or overwhelm? you know, their connection system, because so many of us have kids who are actually threatened by connection instead of regulated by connection. How can I think about felt safety in a way that bolsters my child's overall sense of felt safety? We've talked about felt safety over and over and over again on the podcast. I have episodes specifically devoted to the concept of felt safety from when the podcast first came out. And I was really focused on teaching these very specific concepts. But the idea of felt safety is woven into really everything that we talk about here on the Baffling Behavior Show. And if you've listened to that episode or if you've um, caught the episode that's on connection or protection, you might know that there's these three places that all of our brains, not just our kids and not just kids with vulnerable nervous systems, there's three places we're all always searching for cues and clues to determine if we're safe or not. And that's um, inside our own bodies and that's outside in the environment. And then that's also in the relationship. And so when I'm working with families, we're looking at are there, is there any one category of felt safety that one might seem obvious, like, oh yeah, we could really bolster that one, or two, feels like the lowest hanging fruit, like feels like the easiest 
to tackle? Because that's really important, right? That y'all really, really stressed out, overwhelmed parents. And we start with the things that feel the easiest and feel like the easiest to tackle. So we'll look at those, you know, again, like different categories of felt safety inside the body, um, outside in the environment, and then in the relational experience that your child's having with you or with other adults in their life, where are things that we could kind of tweak or bolster their felt safety? And so there's a large portion of, you know, the book Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors that we're looking at some of the specifics. They give you lots of specific ideas um, about common places to look to that we can increase felt safety. And then connection, right? Growing the owl brain by increasing the connection that you're offering your child, that can be really tricky for families of kids with attachment trauma. And so many parenting interventions talk about connection first over correction, um, how our kids are much more likely to have pro-social behaviors if they're feeling connected to us and connected to themselves. And that is 100% true. It's just really, really tricky if your kid has experiences where connection hasn't been regulating and safe, but connection has been terrifying and dangerous. So this is a place where I really lean into that pillar where parents had to really get to know themselves because it's through knowing ourselves that we can then increase our attunement to someone else. It's right? so like, for example, when I teach therapists, I really lean into therapists getting to know themselves, right? Being in attunement with themselves because this is only through attunement to ourselves that we can attune to someone else. And the same is true for parents. The more relationship we have with ourselves, the more connected we are to ourselves, the bigger our owl brain grows, the more capacity we have to be in attunement with our children. And then it's this attunement that helps us discern how to titrate connection and where the line is for our unique child for where connection moves from offering safety and regulation to being dangerous and terrifying. Now, that's really hard for anybody outside your family to discern. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have an excellent therapist who knows your child well and knows your family well, that there's, um, they're likely a really big asset to your team here and, and a really big asset in helping your child untangle that part where connection is, you know, tied up with danger. But I know most of you listening aren't that lucky. Like you don't have those people on your team. That's why you're listening. That's why you're coming to the club that, you know, all those kinds of things. So what I love to help parents do then is to increase their connection and attunement to themselves so that they then can be more in attunement with their kid and see how to titrate the different ways we can offer connection. And, and again, in the book, I talk about some really concrete strategies that we can do 
to offer connection. But like, yeah, we have to pay attention to that piece of, of like, but for some kids, it's just too much. So for example, in the book, I talk about really paying attention to our like reunions with our kids, the moments where we get to welcome them. And that could be they've come home from school or they've woken up in the morning or they simply were in another room and now we've reconnected again. Right? There's this moment where we can welcome them. And it's a lovely moment to pay attention to and to see if we can really enhance the connection in those moments. And for some kids... It's too vulnerable. I have a very clear memory of a kiddo that I used to know where that moment of, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you, right? It was just too much for that kid. It would totally toss them outside their window of tolerance. It was too dangerous and threatening feeling. And so I had to learn how to really titrate the way I expressed the connection, the way I expressed expressed the welcome, the way I expressed the, I'm so glad you're here. I had to find a way where I could still offer that really authentically because it's really important to feel like people are happy to see you, but to do it in a way that worked for that specific child and the way that they felt threatened by connection. So regulation, then that's a third one that I haven't touched on specifically. We've, we've talked about felt safety. We've talked about connection. Regulation. I ooh, I love talking about regulation. Um, I love experimenting with the different ways to support a child's attempts at regulation. And a lot of times those attempts are well-meaning. They're trying to help the child find regulation, but they're, they're not working, right? The body is always seeking regulation. So when I'm with a child, I'm, I'm always trying to stay open and curious about like, well, what's happening here? What do I see your body doing? And if I assumed that there's some portion of that that is brilliantly attuned to self and trying to find regulation in the way that this child needs, but maybe they just need a little help organizing that, right? That helps me come up with some ideas in the moment that might be helpful for this child's regulation needs, right? So think about like a kiddo who's hiding under a blanket or turning away or um, having like a really wiggly body that just can't sit still. All of those behaviors help us know what this child needs for regulation. The hiding or the turning away child is a child who needs some of that intensity of intimacy decrease. So give them that, right? In fact, we want to celebrate their connection to themselves and their very wise system that's guiding them towards regulation, right? Like if you have a really wiggly little, a real wiggly one that you're with, one who's got a lot of movement going on in, in their body, maybe take a break for like a somersault contest or jump on the trampoline. I couldn't tell you how many sessions I've done with kids with them jumping on the trampoline or jumping on the pogo stick or doing something that's getting some regulation-based movement to support their body. Maybe some kids would increase their connection to their body by snuggling underneath a weighted blanket. Every child's body needs something different. But if you really get to know yourself, then you can really get to know your child and really see the story that they're telling you 
And then you can discover new ways to lean in. I also love my friend Marty Smith's book for ideas for connecting with our child's sensory system for supporting safety, connection, and regulation. Marty's book is called The Connected Therapist. So in Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, I give you lots of brain, body, sensory strategies that really work. And they really work not because I have some brilliance that you don't have That's or, or other people don't have. That's not it at all. They really work because they're then combined with your understanding of what your child needs and why they need those things along with your connection and attunement to yourself. And so then you can offer all those strategies as invitations instead of demands or from a place of feeling really desperate, right? You can offer these strategies from a place of being and not just doing because you've really grown your own owl brain, If you remember at the beginning of this episode, I said like the tools and the strategies, the ways we quote unquote fix behaviors fall into these two categories. One is growing the owl brain and one is responding to the watchdog and the possum brain. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Tools and strategies to calm the watchdog and the possum brain. We're taking the overall arc of raising kids with big baffling behaviors where we go through the neuroscience of the neurobiology of behavior. And then we, well, first we get to know the owl, watchdog, and possum brain because you can't do anything to help them if you don't know them. (laughs) So we do that in the book. Then we grow the owl brain. Then we respond and calm the owl and watchdog brain. And then we arrive at the section of like, well, what do we do when the owl brain returns? which is usually what people are asking when they say something like, but but what about a consequence? Then in the book, we move into connecting and being with ourselves, like growing our own regulation, connection to ourselves, our own ability to offer safety and connection to our kids. So that's the arc of the book. That's the arc of this little podcast series we're doing now as we prepare for the book to come out on September 21st. Now, a lot of you have reached out and asked about an audiobook. I am working really hard with my publisher and my publisher is equally as committed as I am to get this book turned into an audiobook. We know that there's so many of you and a lot of you, I'm sure, who listen to podcasts would really benefit from the book being audio that your life is too busy, too chaotic to sit down and read a book. And when you're as stressed out as y'all are, taking in information in written word can sometimes be pretty challenging. And so just know that, yes, we are working really hard to convince the people in charge (laughs) that this would be a great audio book. One of the ways, of course, the people in charge are making this decision is based on how well they think an audiobook would sell. And 
one of the ways they're making that decision is based on, you know, the pre-orders from the paperback or the Kindle version of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors. So if it is possible for you to pre-order Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, and even if you don't like to read books, it could be a donation to your library, a donation to your kid's school, um, you know, a donation to the local child therapy office. You can actually get the book through my publisher for 20% off right now. So if you just go to robingobel.com slash book, you'll find different pre-order options. One option is to get a signed copy, but a different option is to get that discount. And that really is the best way to increase the likelihood that the book gets made into an audiobook. Okay, so next week, come back. We'll talk about strategies to um, connect with and calm the watchdog and the possum brain. Thank y'all so much for tuning in one more time. Thank y'all so much for showing up for yourself, showing up for your kids. And I'll be back with you again next week. Bye-bye. Are you... Ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief, like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go 
subscribes to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.